Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of If You Smell What The Art Is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and we are back once again for another episode of the show. And I want to thank you guys. Uh, the last episode was dropped on Black Friday, so it's been a few extra days since I've been able to get an episode out. I want to thank you for your patience. I want to thank you for continuing to support uh, the podcast. Uh, I am back once again, and this week, a little bit different of a um, show scenario here. We are going to go ahead and go into Quick Hits and talk about all the news that has happened in the last week and a half since I've been uh, gone, since the Thanksgiving holiday. And then we're going to go ahead and get into our Survivor Series review. That's right, the Survivor Series happened uh, just one week ago, and we're going to talk about everything that happened there. And then we are going to go ahead and get into the highlight reel, which we'll talk about Monday Night Raw, NXT, and AEW. My apologies for not having SmackDown on the show, but my DVR did not know that SmackDown was airing on FS1 because of the World Cup soccer that has been going on the last couple of weeks. It thought that it was airing on Fox. And because of that, it didn't know and it didn't record it. So I'm going to have to do SmackDown at a different date or somewhere down the line. But again, my apologies in the World Cup. So with that being said, I want to invite you to go ahead and crack open your favorite frosty beverage. Strap in and buckle up because it is time for you to hear me spew my venom, my hate, and my love for the world of professional wrestling and it is also time for us to go ahead and get into some quick hits. And our quick hits start off with Ric Flair. Ric Flair says he deserves 10% of Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal's AEW paychecks. Credits his last match with their career resurgence. Now, this is just Ric Flair being Ric Flair and obviously talking shit on his podcast, but he's been saying a lot of outlandish things lately, such as him not wanting to really walk away from the ring. Seeing Ricky Steamboat make a comeback is making him want to make a comeback. Rick, your last match was only a couple months ago. Stating that Charlotte Flair could wrestle for 100 years and still be better than any of the women on the current roster for any company. That's fine and well, but I don't think that she should wrestle 100 years, Rick, because then she'd be just like you. Um, and most recently, he mentioned that he was invited to uh, the, um, you know, the big 30th anniversary of Raw or whatever you have you the night before the Royal Rumble. Um, but he was not invited to be in the Royal Rumble match, but that he'd be willing to put on his ring gear and be at the Royal Rumble. Rick. Not everything has to do with you in wrestling. I love you. You are a god in wrestling, yes. But it's time to pack it up. I understand that you may be needing money. I understand that you are trying to stay in the spotlight. But you definitely don't deserve 10% of Jay Lethal or Jeff Jarrett's AEW paycheck. Yes, they were in your last match, but that does not mean that they des you, they deserve to pay you anything for doing so. You could have gotten anybody to be in that last match. I guess you deserve 10% from Andrade. Oh, wait, he's your son-in-law. So we can't bother him, right? Just a lot of BS lately from old Ric Flair. And I mean that when I say old Ric Flair because he's not the Ric Flair that I remember even five years ago. Number two, Thunder Rosa script of the AEW women's title. Jamie Hayter officially the new women's champion over in AEW. And they are recognizing Tony Storm's title reign as a real title reign as well, taking away the interim part. I hope that means that the whole interim BS in AEW is over.
because this is not the UFC. And Lord knows I hate enter. It makes no sense to vacate the damn title. You love tournaments, hold a tournament or put the number one contender and the number two contender in a match with each other. You, all you did was by prolonging Thunder Rosa, giving up the belt was make your company look like more of a joke than it already is. I'm very happy for Jamie Hayter. I think she deserves the success. Tony Storm's title reign was a little lackluster. It was blah, in my opinion. And I hope that Jamie does not become overshadowed by Britt Baker. And even if she does slightly, it's made into a storyline. So congratulations to Jamie Hayter on being named the new AEW Women's Champion. Number three, Preston Vance, number 10 from the Dark Order, turned on the Dark Order and finally joined Roosh's stable, Inglenobles, uh, Los Inglenobles, on an episode of Rampage. Uh, I thought Preston Vance is a great wrestler. And I liked him in the Dark Order. Not just because it was, you know, where he belonged, but it gave him a chance to highlight himself. I don't think going with Rush or Rush or whatever you want to say his name is. It's spelled R-U-S-H. It's Rush. Okay. But I'll call him what they call him on TV, Rush. And uh, I don't think him being there is going to do anything. Andrade is suspended. I don't think he's coming back to AEW. So... Los Ingrinobles is no more without Andrade, in my opinion. And I think that 10 turning may have been a bad move, uh, especially since they're saying he broke negative one's heart and him doing this to negative one was terrible. I get it. They were close and he was there for him when Brody Lee passed away. But if they're going to drag negative one into the storyline, it's going to bring this man's career down, whether he's a face or a heel or whatever have you. It just makes no sense whatsoever. But good for him for branching out and getting away from the Dark Order. Dark Order now down to three members. Um, Evil Uno, uh, John Silver, and Reynolds. Um, I think we might see curtains for the Dark Order in AEW, in my opinion. Uh, because Preston Vance was probably the only really big star they had. If he's going to become a big star in AEW, good for him. But if they're going to flounder him and just, you know, keep him on dark and have, a, have, have, you know, elevation and all that crap, bad move. Bad, bad move. And number four, Scripps debuts and Dominic Dijak returned to NXT. This was on last week's episode, obviously. And uh, very happy for Dijak. But I will say that he looks like he is the illegitimate love child of the big boss man and Braun Breaker because he's got the same black spiky hairdo and goatee that Braun Breaker has and he's wearing the same aviator cop sunglasses and talking about justice the same way the big boss man did. It, it, his new look is a little weird. I don't know that I understand his storyline really, but I'm happy they took the damn mask off of him and I'm happy that they're giving him another opportunity. And it being an NXT so he could rewrite his career a little bit in the WWE, I think it's for the best. Uh, he attacked Wesley on his debut. I don't know if that means he's going for the North American title, but it seems to me that he's going after anybody and anything over an NXT. And as far as script goes, um, or scripts, man, you took a storyline that started with such promise and, you know, a lot of everybody going, hey, who the hell is that? Who is this going to be some badass guy? And then you put Reggie in a dollar store Ciclope uh, mask and outfit 
and allowed him to do his same flippy shit while still being able to tell who the hell he is through the damn mask. Um, what is up with WWE putting guys in masks who don't need to be in masks and renaming them, but taking masks off guys who have had masks their entire careers, except for Rey Mysterio. Andrade Sin Almas came in with a mask. They took it off of him. Sami Zayn came in as El Generico with a mask. They took it off of him. Other luchadors have come in and they've took it off of him. But here we have Axiom, who was formerly a kid over in, in NXT UK, and you turned him into a you know, mathematician luchador, and now Reggie into this Scripps guy. I don't get it. I really don't. He debuted, though. He had a decent match. He got the win. God bless him. I, I just don't get it, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes the WWE thinks, does things that I just really can't understand, and it leaves me puzzled. So... If you got anything uh, to say about Scripps or uh, Don, Donovan Dijak, please let me know. I'm all ears. With that being said, let's go ahead and get into our WWE Survivor Series War Games 2022 review. <laughs> and just a reminder... Check out all the great shows here on WrestleNet Radio, such as A Slice of Time, the year that was Mark's Indie Spotlight, WCW, the We Can't Wrestle podcast with myself, Nate Maxson, Mark Brew, and Aaron Maxson. All a bunch of great shows. I, I implore you, make sure you check out everything that we here at WrestleNet Radio have to offer. And going into our WWE Survivor Series War Games review, the opening video package featuring Ozzy Osbourne was awesome. And, I mean, they really it really got me hyped. I'm like, they got Ozzy. I do, however, wish the War Games cage had a top on it. But I guess this is WWE's version, not WCW's version. We open up the show with the Women's War Games match. It's Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, Asuka, Alexa Bliss, and Mia Yim taking on damage control of Bailey, uh, Dakota Kai, and EO Sky. Uh, Nikki Cross and Rhea Ripley. Re seeing Rhea Ripley do sit uh, pull-ups on the uh, little cage that she was in was fantastic. Great job by the WWE having her do that, or if she did it on her own. Great way to build herself up. This match was all over the place, even right from the beginning. The women coming in after the countdown were more worried about using weapons than actually fighting. Some of the trash can and chair shots looked weak, but the rest of the match was actually good. Uh, Kai, Sky, Asuka, and Yim were flying all over the place. Belair was her usual self, and uh, as uh, was barely selling for anyone. I mean, I mean that she was really pretty much taking abuse and then just getting right back up. Uh, Bliss looked slightly out of it, but did a good job. And Ripley and Lynch were fantastic, and definitely the cornerstones of both teams. Becky's top uh, of the cage spot was really good, and Team Belair got the win. Not the best, but certainly a passable War Games match. We then go to the ring for AJ Styles taking on Phil, Finn Balor. These two put on a classic, a true back-and-forth matchup. Styles held a good advantage, but Balor kept coming back. I enjoyed everything both of these guys did, and I think this was better than their first encounter a couple of years back. Balor's escape out of the calf killer was brutal. And when he went for his reverse suplex multiple times, AJ just wasn't having it. Styles picked up the win after a big, phenomenal forearm and ended what I consider match of the night. 
Then we go to what I consider the shits of the night. It's Ronda Rousey taking on Shotzi. This was bad on so many levels, and I mean it made the women's match at full gear look like five-star classics. And you know how much I hated those. Both Ronda and Shotzi had no chemistry, kept botching, and got the crowd out of the show. Rousey got the win, and I'm just glad it didn't last longer than they, they, they wanted to. You know what I mean? It, it, it was like 10 minutes, and it was the worst 10 minutes they could have had. Side note, Ronda Rousey once again has nuclear go-away heat. The fans are booing her because of her, not because of her character. They're booing her because they don't want to see her anymore. And, of course, she's got that same shit-eating grin and that attitude. Oh, it's wrestling. What do you care? You know, I just, I hate that about her. So, it, it's really, really bad. Uh, Rollins, Lashley, and Theory then had a three-way for the United States Championship. All three went all out the entire match, and I liked it. Nothing worse than a triple threat where it's throw one guy out and two guys have a matchup. No, this wasn't it. All three were going at it. Lashley looked strong and fought with all he had. Rollins continues to be the best guy in the roster and on Monday Night Raw, and Theory has been resurrected, in my opinion. Uh, the Falcons' arrow spear spot was perfect, and was perfect to let, allow Theory to steal the win here. These guys got 20 minutes. They should have gotten 30, but it was fantastic to see everything that went on in this matchup. Uh, the continued storyline going on all night about Sami Zayn turning on the bloodline because of what Kevin Owens told him on SmackDown the night before was done excellently. It was the right amount of drama, and I, I had doubt going into the match because I really was wondering, was Sami going to possibly not show up or turn or what? It really made me question what was about to happen. And then we go to the men's war games match. That's right. There was only five matches on this whole card. I thought during the, when I did the review of the card and my predictions that they might've been adding something, but no, they stuck to five matches. Uh, Brawling Brutes, Owens and McIntyre taking on the entire bloodline. This was the exact opposite of the women's match. Even though weapons got brought in, it was done organically. Everyone involved put up a great fight, and my hat's off to Ridge Holland, who took the most abuse. Sheamus, Owens, and McIntyre are all serious contenders to Roman's title. Solo's become a driving force in the bloodline, and Zayn is keeping them all together. The ending with KO, Roman, and Sammy was executed perfectly. The low blow and Huluva kick was a throwback to their p past issues, even dating back to Ring of Honor. Uh, and the bloodline winning might have been the right choice here. I know I said that they should have let Sheamus win to maybe set him up for a title match, but I got to be honest here. Jay Uso pinning Kevin Owens to win War Games gives, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> gives Jay credibility, gives the entire bloodline credibility as being the best damn thing on the show. And Sami Zayn sticking with the bloodline, it, it just makes for good TV. All in all, Survivor Series was a great WWE pay-per-view or premiere live event, considering it was only about it only had five matches. Only the women's title match was bad, though. The rest was great. Giving this a 4.5 out of 5, very well-rounded show. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you, WWE, for giving us the war games at Survivor Series, which is something the fans have been calling for for quite some time. So, with that being said, we have one more uh, little thing we got to do here, and that is the highlight reel. So let's go ahead, take a look. And another quick reminder, please, ladies and gentlemen, 
I ask that you go ahead and check out my new podcast with my buddies. It is called the Nothing But Trouble Podcast. That's right. We did rename it. And it is myself and seven lifelong friends. We've known each other since the crib. And we are talking about all things. Yes, wrestling is involved sometimes. But we are talking about movies, TV, food, music, uh, sports, conspiracy theories, you name it. Uh, The first show just debuted this past Wednesday. I want to thank everybody who gave us some reviews already, such as Ronnell Tinsley, uh, Jason Joseph, and Bobby Anders. And I want to thank you guys for your support on this podcast as well as that one. It really means a lot. So go ahead and take a look if you haven't already. And, um, yeah, uh, just keep enjoying all the content right here on WrestleNet Radio. So now we go into Monday Night Raw for the highlight reel. And number one, Becky Lynch and Bailey's opener and their brawl. That was a throwback, in my opinion. Them fighting up the aisle and going into the uh, merchandise, uh, you know, stand. It was a real nice throwback. We haven't seen that in quite a while. Number two, Judgment Days versus the OC. This was originally Rhea Ripley taking on Mia Yim, but then, you know, the match got wonky and they decided to make it a four-on-four. I liked it. I thought it was great. And I think having the OC go over is the right move here because you want the Judgment Day kind of battling from from underneath and, you know, pushing them a little harder towards Royal Rumble season. Uh, The Bloodline and Kevin Owens segment. Wow. Uh, Kevin Owens telling Sami Zayn that he no longer wants anything to do with him. He doesn't want to be a part of anything he's got going on was just like heart bending. Wow. And Jey Uso and Sami Zayn putting their burdens behind them. Great to see. And then it made us our main event, which is Jey Uso versus uh, Kevin Owens. But also the Street Profits and Alpha Academy had a banger of a tag match. Uh, it was great to see the Street Profit back. Uh, they were, you know, gone for a little while doing with Montez's injury and everything. Then the Alpha Academy had another great matchup. And I, I think they, they deserve a round of applause. And then we go to our main event. It's Kevin Owens taking on Jey Uso. And what more can I say about these two other than what chemistry? Unbelievable. It's like they've been in the ring multiple times with each other. You know what I mean? Uh, Owens fought hard. Uh, Jay got help from everybody. <laughs> the whole entire bloodline, except for Roman Reigns, was in effect on Monday Night Raw. And then Kevin Owens fought back and hit the stunner and gets the win over Jay Uso. Very, very well done. Over on NXT now, uh, Roxanne Perez versus Indy Hartwell in the opener was fantastic. These women got 12 minutes, which I was not expecting. And just did a wonder with it. Uh, the Legends discussion uh, about the Iron Survivor matches at um, dead, uh, Deadline uh, was was really well. Well done for both of them, both the men's and the women. Um, you know, it was uh, a lot of talking, but it was like a best of because they were showing what these people who they want in the matches have accomplished and have uh, been put through. So really, really well done. Can't believe I'm going to say this, but Axiom versus Javi uh, Burnell. I don't like Javi Burnell. I don't like the whole storyline they've got going, that whole big body thing. But Axiom was back. He had on a, a killer matchup. They gave 15 minutes to these two youngsters, and they showed off. So, And number four, Shawn Michaels' announcement about the Iron Survivor match participants. Over on the men's side, we've got Carmelo Hayes, Grayson Waller, J.D. McDowell, and Joe Gacy, who have all had stellar years, and I think they deserve to be in this match. And then there's going to be a... A qualifier for the final uh, participant in the match uh, next week on NXT. So I'm going to be watching that one. And then over on the women's side, you've got Cora Jade, Roxanne Perez, Zoe Stark, and Kiana James. Now, 
Except for Kiana James, the other three women I think deserve to be in this matchup. I think because Kiana got a win on NXT the same night that they did these announcements, they felt like they needed to put her in. But whatever the case may be, I ain't going to you know, doubt what Sean and the rest of the Legends thought or whoever booked this thing. And yes, they will also have a qualifier match next week to put the fifth member of the women's side in as well. NXT was, was good. But it wasn't great. There was a lot a lot of rushed matches, a lot of rushed segments backstage. So these were the top four, obviously. And then we go to AEW Dynamite. And Adam Page returns and has a brawl with John Moxley, which I'm glad to see Page back. Uh, he and Moxley brawled all over the arena for about 20 minutes. It wasn't just during the opening segment. They even brawled after the first matchup in the backstage area. <laughs> uh Brian Danielson and Dax Hardwood had a killer one-on-one matchup. I mean, 25 minutes of absolute gold between these two. I enjoy Dax Hardwood's work. I love him more as a tag team artist, but when he gets into the ring with these singles guys, like he's had matches with Punk and matches with his partner, Cash Wheeler, he always does phenomenal. Uh, Brian Danielson got the win, but what a hard-fought match for Dax Hardwood. MJF's promo and attack on William Regal. Wow. The promo was fantastic. I mean, he talked about the fans possibly going fickle and turning on him eventually. And, you know, everything under the sun. He even name-dropped Nick Khan and Triple H talking about the bidding war of 2024. It was fantastic. But then he turns on William Regal and knocks him out. Regal's had neck surgeries in the past, so obviously everybody's worried that he re-injured William Regal. But here's the funny part. Rumors have been swirling that this was done to write William Regal off of AEW television. Why? You might ask. Well, apparently William Regal had an out clause at at month nine of his contract with AEW. And he may be heading back to the WWE. So if William Regal is going to be out of AEW, they had MJF basically kill him off. It's a little weird, though. And I don't like to give David Meltzer credit when he talks, but he said that, you know, you have MJF attack a heel, he's a heel, and you have him attack a heel. Uh, Mox doesn't get his payoff, and what does it do for anybody? You know what I mean? It's just a weird thing to have happen here, but I just thought it was well done. I, I don't agree with it, but I thought it was really well done. Number four, Ruby Soho's return. She attacked Anna Jay and uh, Tay Conte uh, after Anna's matchup with uh, Willow. Um, I'm glad to see Ruby back. I think she's going to be a positive uh, outcome for the uh, women's division, and I'm happy to see AEW is getting some of their injured talent back. And finally, I know a lot of people don't agree with it, but the Elite versus the Death Triangle in their third matchup in their best of seven. Again, I know that a lot of fans are saying that this is overkill and this should not be being done. But if you like that style of wrestling, which I do sometimes, and you don't have it all over the whole show, which they did not, then this was a good matchup. It was well-rounded. It was done in a very well-mannered way. Uh, The Elite finally got the win, uh, thus making it uh, the Elite having one, and uh, the Death Triangle only have, uh, the Death Triangle having two, so they haven't lead. And the next matchup will be at Winter is Coming, which is in two weeks. So they're holding off. They're not going to put them on the show next week and have us watch another match. Here's the bad part, though. 
apparently before this match started, AEW had 1 million viewers going in. And then when the match started and progressed, they dropped to 679,000 viewers. So, yeah, the main event, which apparently that happens on all wrestling shows, but the main event lost viewers. And whether it's because all, you know, main event areas of shows are, you know, you're tired, people are flicking channels, whatever, or whether it's because they all lose uh, viewers or because fans are tired of seeing the Elite and the Death Triangle, which the Elite just got back. I don't know how they could be tired of them already. I don't know. It's weird. But yeah, that's that's the highlight reel, and I know this is going to be a quick episode. I'm sorry for that, but I, you know, I promise to be back with more content and more to talk about next week. Um, like I said, I wanted to get a show out to you guys because it's been over a week since I got my last show out, uh, and I hope you guys appreciate it. I appreciate all of you. Continue to check out all the shows on uh, WrestleNet Radio, and please continue to uh, listen to or go ahead and listen to for the first time. Uh, the Nothing But Trouble podcast, because that is my new project, with my, as I said, myself and my seven buddies. A lot of people may say, damn, seven people's a lot to have on a podcast, but I promise you, we make it work. So, with that being said, I want to thank you guys, and uh, let you know that I will be back next week with normal content, AEW and NXT being fully reviewed, and the uh, highlight reel being about Raw and SmackDown, and maybe anything else that I decide to watch. And, um, yeah. I will see you next time on If You Smell What the Arch Is Cooking.